Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, the strong and powerful Russ Thornton. Russ, are you ready to do this? I'm ready, George. Let's do it. Excellent. Let's do this. Russ is a financial advisor serving women dealing with divorce or widowhood, and he is the founder of Wealth Care for Women. I'm excited to have you on. Russ, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why it is you do what you do. Yeah, so uh, let's see. Happily married for 22 years. Um, my wife and I are the proud parents of a foster puppy. Um, nice. Actually, she's a, she's a She's our puppy. She's adopted. We actually have two additional foster puppies in our house right now. Um, so that, that always makes life exciting, especially <laughs> when I, uh, especially when I do most of my work from home. Um, been an advisor for gosh, 20, 25 years, started at Merrill Lynch, um, was there for about a dozen years, then left in 06 and dropped my licenses and went fee only and have been fee only since 2006. So, uh, I'm a fiduciary uh, for my clients and, you know, for me, it's all about planning and helping people align their financial resources with living a great life. Excellent. What was it that, that motivated you to drop your, your, your licenses and go fee only? I know that that's, I don't want to call it popular, but I think that that's a direction of a lot of advisors these days, but I don't think it was in 2006. Yeah, looking back, I, I, I might have been a little bit early on that train, um, but I no regrets. I'm glad I did it. Um, about... About three or four years prior to the decision to leave Merrill, I had um, I had made the decision and embraced um, passive investing. Uh, so I was using like low cost uh, total market ETFs for my clients. Um, I wasn't really relying on um, Merrill Lynch other than their brand name to some degree. Uh, and so I, I ultimately came to the conclusion: you know, why why does it make sense for me to stay here with Merrill and uh, carry some degree of headline risk, which they had they had already experienced some in you know the years leading up to 2006, um, when I wasn't really utilizing a lot of their other resources like research and uh, you know all their sundry other services. This was well prior to their merger with Bank of America. Um, so kind of that in combination with the fact that you know I just wanted to do everything I could to remove potential conflicts of interest uh, between my work uh, and my clients. And I don't think they can be eliminated completely, but I think serving as a family fiduciary certainly helps minimize uh, those conflicts. And so I just decided to jump in with both feet, and here we are. Got it. Excellent. And what, what led you or drew you to um, the world of divorce and widowhood? So uh, without going into too much detail, I've got a bit of a personal story, uh, and you can read more about this on my uh, website on my uh, about page um, at wealthcareforwomen.com. Back when I was graduating college, this would have been back in the early 90s, my mom and dad, who had been married 25 plus years, um, were going through a divorce. And by the end of it, it it got pretty ugly. Uh, My mom had been a stay-at-home mom. She took care of my two younger brothers and I. Uh, and she was a great mom. I love my parents dearly today. Uh, my dad was very successful. He, he in fact, was a, a lifetime financial services um, uh, employee himself uh, and done, had done really well. Um, long story short, my mom uh, wound up getting a lot of assets and alimony um, and child support to, to help uh, support my two younger brothers. 
uh, until they were out of the house. And long story short, today she is in her early 70s and is essentially broke. Um, she's got Social Security and a little bit of a pension um, that she got from my dad, but she's basically gone through all of those assets and the alimony and things like that. And while I would love to say that she got bad advice along the way, um, I can't say she got good advice, but she she's also largely responsible for her decisions. I believe that, but I've seen what could have been a very different outcome kind of go off the rails. And so I want to prevent other women from, you know, sharing that same fate. Um, and also I'll add that I see a lot of women that are coming out of divorce or um, who are experiencing widowhood. Um, a lot of these women, especially older women, are very, very vulnerable, uh, both emotionally um, and financially to some of the, let's call them bad actors in our industry. And so I want to try to, you know, educate them and help, help prevent, help them prevent from being taken advantage of, or, you know, being put in a, in a bad situation financially. Got it. Well, I appreciate you sharing that story. I think that oftentimes we're, we found or find our areas of focus, whatever it might be in whatever industry or whatever kind of work through, through some kind of personal experience. So I, I appreciate that very much. Well, there's a lot of, a lot of, things to be talking about in terms of money and divorce what is what is a good jumping off point uh is it a conversation about the the really the quantitative stuff that people need to think about and then moving into the qualitative you know uh, speaking you know in the context of divorce specifically i don't i don't think you can i don't think you can unbundle those two i mean i think um divorce is so emotionally charged for all the obvious reasons. And if, you know, in simple terms, divorce is about, um, you know, making money decisions and um, decisions about children, if they're, if they're still minor children, Um, but in simple terms, that's really all it's about. If, if the kids are grown and out of the house, it's, you know, the focus is really on money, but you're trying to make some important financial decisions that will impact the rest of your life. uh, And you're doing it in the midst of, perhaps one of the most, potentially one of the most emotional times in your life. And so I think it's very tough to uh, address one without the other. Um, And that's both the challenge and the opportunity with, you know, trying to deliver, um, you know, solid financial as well as just kind of lifestyle advice in the kind of in the face of divorce. Yeah, I don't think uh, whether you initiate the process of divorce or it's initiated by by your spouse it's probably i don't want to refer to it as chaos but perhaps chaos is 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 maybe the best term it's certainly extremely traumatic and uh probably all-encompassing so what then is the starting point um i think i think really the the best place to start um in my experience is trying to um help um, help a person get more realistic expectations. And some, some women I talk to that are, um, in the early innings of the divorce process have, are, you know, very practical, very grounded, have very realistic, uh, expectations about, you know, how their life's going to change financially and otherwise. Unfortunately, um, I encounter a lot of women, uh, maybe, maybe a lot like my mom to some degree that have very unrealistic expectations. Um, and they think that, um, you know, my life is going to continue, um, much as it has, um, just, I won't have my, you know, husband in the picture anymore. And, and I find that's just, um, 
that that's just that that ain't gonna <laughs> gonna happen, frankly. Um, you know, with regard to uh, both finance, uh, financial resources and things like that. Um, even even if the woman has you know has a career of her own and has been successful and is working, um, it's going to be it's often a very different picture when you're you know taking a a combined married household and dividing it into two. Um, you know the money just doesn't go that far, especially when you're you know have uh, co-parenting uh, and custody situations and you're spending time with children and you have to think of new maybe perhaps new housing arrangements, et cetera, et cetera. So I think I think the best place to to start is to you know really just take a step back. Uh, think in terms of what are actually realistic expectations of what's going to happen, how long it's going to happen, how long is divorce going to take. Um, a lot of women think that, you know, it's going to take a, a few weeks to a few months, and I've seen them drag out over a year in many cases. So I think that's probably a really good place to start. And then there's a lot that kind of flows out of that. It's interesting. Um, and maybe my perception of it years and years and years ago would be that when people got divorced, if one spouse was really successful, they would pay alimony or spousal maintenance for the rest of their lives. And I don't know if that was ever really the case, but that's not the case anymore. And I think that that's what you were alluding to. Yeah, that's part of it. And and there are many, I, you know, I talk to a lot of family law and divorce attorneys and, and they think that um, alimony is, um, on its way out. Um, you know, alimony by design is really just to kind of help, um, help the, uh, maybe the, the less financially, um, moneyed spouse kind of transition to a life on his or her own. Um, and more and more, I hear talk that alimony might be going away completely. So I think you're right. I think in the past it was, you know, if it's a long-term marriage, um, there would be some form of spousal support for, you know, years and years and years, decades, maybe even the rest of their life. Um, today, um, it's more common for me to see, even for long-term marriage, um, alimony for, you know, three to five years, maybe a little bit longer in some cases. But I see, I see more and more cases where alimony is not even on the table. It's really division of assets, and you know, it's it's kind of let's let's make a clean break and you know, wish you the best and good luck. Um, and so I, I think that I think that's part of the bigger picture of you know thinking about you know, realistic, realistic expectations and how your life may or may not change going forward post-divorce. Got it. And I, my, my, my folks split up when I was five and I don't really have any knowledge or recollection of what that actual process looked like from a legal or a financial standpoint, but I can certainly echo the sentiments of it would have been great if somebody like you had been available to talk to my mom during that time, but I'll take that one step further. Um, I know that now today I'm almost 40 years old and it's really, really difficult to get my mom and dad together in, in a room <laughs> just because that whole process went so poorly. So is that an area that, that, that you talk to your clients about is when we're talking about expectations, not only about what your financial life is going to look like, but let's project out 5, 10, 15, 20 years of what your relationship with your now soon to be ex-spouse is going to look like. Yeah, to a degree. I mean, I, I don't, I don't uh, wade too deeply into that area. And, and if, if I think there are some really deep seated issues that need to be addressed there, um, I, I am happy to refer people to, um, you know, licensed counselors and things like that to, to help them dig into that. But I will tell, I will often tell people, um, 
you know, that, you know, regardless of what happens or what's, what's happened in the past, um, especially if you have children together, and even if they're adult children, you know, remember that your soon-to-be ex-spouse is the father of your children, and he, he will be the father of your children, and, and ultimately, you know, grand, you know, grandchildren and things like that that may come into picture down the road. Um, so just, you know, think twice before you, um, you know, really try to inflict uh, pain and suffering on uh, on this person, regardless of the situation. Um, and, you know, I recognize that's easier said than done. But I, I often encounter uh, women uh, who basically say, um, you know, I'm, I want to make him pay um, in, in no uncertain terms. I want a bulldog lawyer that's going to, you know, rake him over the coals and get as much as I can. And, and while, um, while I certainly want to see um, both spouses get an equitable distribution from the marriage as they should, um, you know, we're still operating within the law. So it's not like you can, um, it's not like you can do anything extreme or really tilt things in your favor to the, um, you know, to the harm of your, um, of your ex-spouse. So um, it's it just, yeah, it's tough, but you, you, you raise uh, an interesting point and an important point that, um, you know, regardless of what happens um, through the divorce and post-divorce, especially if you're a parent, um, you're always going to be a parent and you need to, I think, think of your children, regardless of their age, think about kind of their relationship with um, their mother or their father, who, whoever's on the other side of the table in, in a divorce and try to think a little bit more objectively about how things you can say and do today might have repercussions for potentially decades. Truly. I appreciate that. So managing this process, managing, making extremely important financial decisions, some of them irrevocable, um, and trying to take into consideration what your life's going to look like in six months and a year, but also helping people get set up for the long term. Are there some key financial things that, that you find that people maybe have a hard time with or really should be thinking about? There, yeah, I mean, the, the list is long, um, but the one that I think the one that comes up most often, uh, at least in my work with women dealing with divorce, is the marital home. Um, uh, you know, it's not uncommon for me to, let's say, get referred to a woman that's, let's say, 55 or 60. She's been married 30 plus years. Um, the kids are either grown and out of the house or soon will be. Um, let's say that she and or her husband have been successful. They live in a, a nice large home. Um, a lot of times the woman is just goes into the process dead set on keeping the marital home. Um, and it, that may be, and again, this goes back to earlier in the conversation talking about emotional issues. Um, it could be that, you know, she raised her kids in this home. It could be that um, she and her husband bought the home 15 or 20 years ago and really did some renovations and really got it just like they liked it. It could be that frankly, to use the term that you throw out earlier, um, her life feels like it's in chaos and she just wants something that, she knows um, and has familiarity with, and so she wants to keep the house. Not, you know, not even considering the fact that it's a six or seven thousand square foot home um, that has a ton of carrying costs and maintenance costs and things like that. And you know, her kids are out of the house. It's just going to be her. I mean, um, so a big challenge I often find is uh, trying to get the the um, the woman to. Um, think more objectively and a little bit less emotionally about the marital home. Again, that's just one example of dozens, but that's a big one. And oftentimes I will uh, encourage, uh, encourage her to 
um, let go of the marital home or let the husband buy it out or sell it and split the proceeds and then rent uh, for, you know, maybe 12 to 18 months until she kind of gets her feet back under her and kind of figures out what her routine and her schedule is. And, and if she wants to even stay in Atlanta, for example, or if she wants to move to be closer to her kids or grandkids, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so that's, um, that's a real challenge. And, and I've talked to a lot of uh, attorneys that um, have kind of echoed the same uh, challenge they've experienced as well. So that's, that's probably top of the list, but there's, there's a bunch. Yeah. And that certainly makes all the sense in the world that in a time of, of, of crisis that your home, <laughs> being that that's one of the most important things to all of us, uh, you would want to try to hold on to that in spite of the fact that it probably doesn't make a lot of sense in certain situations. And I think it's great advice to, to, to rent for 12 or 18 months. It's kind of the idea of sleeping on it before you make a big decision. Um, and sometimes a year, a year and a half might not even be enough time, but, but I appreciate that. So, well, excellent. Well, Russ, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? You know, uh, there's uh, it, it's tough to kind of narrow this down to a single thing, but I think um, I, I think what I would tell people and um, uh, what I would tell anyone, regardless of your situation, is that um, it's super important to uh, live within your means. Um, in in plain English, to spend less than you earn. Um, and I think if you can do that, that virtually every other financial decision that you're going to be faced with becomes easier because you've got the, um, you've kind of built some, uh, a safety net or some margin into your life where, you know, you, you're already, you're always saving by default. Um, you, you have a little bit of cushion. Um, and I think it just makes, uh, makes you less dependent on credit. Um, I, I think, I think a lot of good things trickle down from that. So it was frankly, George, it was really tough really narrowing this down to one thing, but I think that's really just kind of a universal truth that anyone can benefit regardless of your net worth or age or uh, financial situation, um, you know, live within your means and, and everything else gets easier after that. Uh, that is for sure true is great stuff. And that definitely gets it. Come on, come on. So I, I appreciate that. Um, well, I guess there's no better way to ask it than just to ask it. How often do you find that, that, that people need to, to take a step back and pare their lifestyle down from where it was. Is it a hundred percent of the time? Is it 50% of the time? You know, in my experience and, and granted, I'm, I'm only, I'm, I'm, I can only speak experience, experientially from the people that I have sure. the opportunity to sit down and, and get to know. I would say it's probably maybe 60% of the time that, you know, I really have to, um, you know, have some tough conversations with people and say, listen, you know, if you continue on this path, um, you know, this doesn't, this doesn't end well. Um, but I would say, um, there's at least 40% rough numbers, maybe a little bit higher than that, that come to the table and actually have a really good handle on things. Um, the, I guess the, the flip side of that same coin though, is I sometimes encounter people, um, and, and oftentimes it's women, but not always that are so, uh, that live so well with it, you know, live so within their means and they're kind of, self, uh, uh, self-described savers, I actually kind of get, I actually run into challenges getting them to actually spend their money and actually enjoy <laughs> their financial resources, you know, later in the life. So that, that, that's, that knife cuts both ways. But I would say that of, of the two, if you had to pick the lesser of the evils, I think, uh, learning to live within your means is, is certainly the better, better path, um, to choose. Got it. Well, Russ, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? How can people engage with you? 
Yeah, thanks, George. This has been fun. Uh, best place to uh, to find me is my website, wealthcareforwomen.com. Uh, I'm also pretty active on uh, Twitter at, uh, at Russ Thornton. Uh, I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, elsewhere. Um, if all else fails, go, go to Google and type in my name. You'll uh, you'll find me there. But uh, yeah, I invite I invite your listeners to to reach out, connect. Uh, let me know if there's anything you want to discuss or that I can help out with. Excellent. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Russ your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to wealthcareforwomen.com. Find him on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. I'll list those in the notes of the show. Thank you again, Russ. Thanks, George. This has been fun. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing. Leave us a review. And definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on.